0: out to somebody just to say something nice, you know, in the same way as if you saw somebody in a room wearing a really nice dress. You say, God, I love your dress. Where'd you get that from? You don't always have to be wanting to get something out of somebody. You can just reach out to them and say, God, congratulations. You've done really well. Love what you're doing. And it's like, that's not to me dirty or, or, or weird or, you know, it, it's not laden with, you know, an agenda. It's actually just going, oh, do you know what? I'm going to congratulate somebody. And I think ultimately that will come back around.
1: Hello, what a treat you have today. So I've interviewed Dr. Harriet Tracy, who is a doctor and co-founder of Beyond BMI, which combines doctor prescribed medication with nutritional therapy and one-to-one personalized support. So basically weight loss, obesity, and, um, I'm grateful to be able to speak to Harriet because she's part of the Medic Footprints community and I last spoke to her about six years ago when she wasn't really sure what she was doing in her career in the sense that she really knew that she wanted to combine health tech and entrepreneurship, but didn't know how. So fast forward to today, she's managed to raise quite a bit of money um, for an idea That she's had to tackle obesity. So we talk about her journey and some of the challenges she faced, especially being a doctor, going through that funding process, but also some of the insights that she's had in actually being a co-founder of a company and really finding the right people to help take her idea to reality, and also what part failure had in that. Um, so it really is a fantastic interview and we also go back into really the importance of being self-aware as an individual before being a doctor on that journey really hope that you enjoy that and do let us know how it could help inspire your own career journey let's face it burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Hello, Harriet. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. It is such an honor to have you on with us. So, for those of you that do not know, Harriet, part of the Medic Footprints community, um, has recently landed a seed funding round for her startup. Beyond BMI, where she tackles obesity. I think it's an amazing, amazing milestone that she's achieved. Um, And as a doctor, she's been on her own really exciting journey to get to this point. And this conversation is really to outline what it took for her to overcome, which I know several hurdles and obstacles that has really kind of contributed towards her achieving her greater vision of doing something really meaningful and tackling obesity using tech. So welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you today?
0: Thanks so much. I am delighted to be here. And, you know, just, just even thinking about what you're saying there, like, you know, how it all actually started with, you know, some early early conversations with people like yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. to medical footprint events and just starting to scope out what was going on. So yeah, um, come a long way since then, but God, it it was an interesting start.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's start from the point in time when you made that decision to combine health tech and entrepreneurship. And that was probably about five, six years ago. So what was it that motivated you to kind of go down that path? Of mixing things up from traditional clinical medicine,
0: yeah. So I suppose like I'm—I've been a doctor ten years now, qualified in 2013 from the mm-hmm. university, and it was kind of in my first year as a doctor that you know y- you're going from the theoretical to the to the reality, aren't you? And, and you're starting to notice things like the way you thought medicine should be and the way it actually is. And I think you know it was in that first year when I I actually got involved with the quality improvement project and. I had noticed that a lot of doctors weren't reporting. Um, so, you know, for example, anything from the trivial, like you know, there's not enough vacutainers on the ward, right the way through to, um, you know, the 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 defab, uh, sorry, uh, the you know, the defib pads on the resource trolley aren't there. So, I, I kind of came up with this pretty simple solution, which was an anonymized telephone reporting line. And we saw an increase in the number of, um, doc- of the number of doctors who were documenting these incidences rise to about five hundred percent in the space of about the two week period. And I was delighted with myself; thought it was brilliant, you know. Um, and and all of a sudden, I I found out from the Quality Improvement Hub that we were, they were actually closing down the project. And I went to speak to somebody in that hub and said, "Look, what what's going on? We're seeing an increase in the number of reports coming in." and essentially it came down to resources it came down to the fact that they didn't have enough resources um clinical resources to actually um keep an eye on on all the reports that were coming in and ultimately i suppose once you know something you have to act upon it so it was a bit of a demoralizing mm. you know first experience thinking here here i am trying to improve something and you know actually success equals a problem in the healthcare so that kind of started started making me think a little bit about the system that I was working in. And, you know, why was it that the system was operating in this manner? And if I was working in a, a business, would they have taken the same approach or would I have actually been somewhat rewarded for what I'd done and told it was great that I was making improvements to the, to the business? And I suppose that was one of those things that those little nuggets that stay in your mind as you progress. And ultimately, what I ended up doing was doing what everybody else did, which is go to Australia for, for a couple of years. and. While I was there, although I was enjoying working and I was enjoying the kind of better work-life balance, quality of life, all of that, I still had that niggling feeling that I wanted to understand the system of healthcare a bit better. I wanted to understand the incentives underlying why why was it that there was not a monetary incentive for actually keeping people well? Why wasn't there a monetary incentive for improving the way things are done? Um, And that led me to start looking at different models of healthcare. So I found out about this model of healthcare called value-based healthcare and it was operating in the United States at the time. Um, I know we're all kind of pretty familiar with it now, but when I first found out about that back in 2016, 2017, it was kind of a new concept to me. And um, I contacted a CEO of a company out in the states. I was going to say for those people that are listening, pretend we don't know what value-based healthcare is because not everyone does. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So value-based care is essentially aligning the financial incentives among all the different stakeholders to ensure that you are incentivized to keep people well. So how that might look is you might have a primary care center. They partner with an insurance company and um, essentially they agree, set milestones or set targets for um, keeping people. People well so for example um a certain hba1c or blood pressure or whatever it is now it's obviously going to be um stratified based on different people so if you've got somebody who's got multiple comorbidities their target will be different from maybe a young fit healthy 20 year old but the whole premise is that you can put a number on um what what wellness looks like and essentially if you can stay within those parameters or keep your client or, or, or patients within that parameters then you receive a financial gain from that. And I think what's really great about that is it just aligns the financial incentives. It means that your primary care provider is actually paid to keep you well and your health insurance company is winning because they're insuring a more healthy population. And then again, what that allows you to do is it allows you to be a lot more flexible with resources. So if you feel like you need a behavioral psychologist in your primary care practice you get one in if you feel like you need a health coach you get one in it's not this transactional fee-for-service type approach where you're paying just to see a doctor um, regardless of the outcome that you get as a, as a patient so this was just fascinating to me still kind of is um and i just went i decided to contact the ceo over there and he, he was really great and he just said look come over and see my practices so I handed in my notice and i went over to the states for about six weeks and i traveled
1: was, that, was this when you were in
0: australia this one was in australia. Went to
1: australia to the us okay
0: yeah so i went over to, to, to the us just like self-funded um and, and and traveled up to ohio down to dartmouth and boston where the main primary care centers had been started and spent the day with the ceo um watched as he, as he hired new members of staff um watched as he conducted meetings like I got to see everything. It was, it was again. Actually- I'm gonna I'm gonna jump
1: in again here. I mean, I think that's fascinating that you had the incentive, not incentive. Sorry, uh, you proactively reached out to the CEO, of this organization. How did well, you manage to get them to say yes
0: to you coming over? You know what, Benya? I I think people say yes when they're open minded and when somebody has approached them proactively. I, I think like even today like if i reach out to someone on linkedin i would say my success rate of somebody replying is about 90% and i think that's because you know if you contact the right person they're they're open to it they're 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 looking to learn as much as you are and you know obviously you have to f- phrase things correctly it's not this kind of cold outreach of hi would love to chat it's like actually genuinely connecting with somebody and genuinely you know commenting on something that you think they're doing that's amazing and then people will get back to you I think Uh, that's a really important
1: point that you've made there and something that we do emphasise in everything that we do, podcasts, conversations I have in the one-to-ones. Because as you know, a lot of doctors are scared of networking, networking being a little bit of a dirty word. No, no one likes networking, but what I try to emphasize is networking is about building relationships to uncover opportunities in the future. It does not have to be transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone on, if you're using LinkedIn or you're new to LinkedIn, it's important to remember that people are there to network. Yeah. That's why people go on LinkedIn. And as you also quite rightly put forward it is a bit of an art form in the way that you approach people and it's really important that you are very specific as to why you're reaching out Mm -hmm. and what benefit that a conversation with this person could be for them as well as for you right you've got to be able to see it from both
0: sides so yeah it is an art form and And yeah also just to add to what you're saying there it's like it's about having that long-term view as well like yes longer term yeah like I mean You can reach out to somebody just to say something nice, you know, in the same way as if you saw somebody in a room wearing a really nice dress. You say, God, I love your dress. Where'd you get that from? You don't always have to be wanting to get something out of somebody. You can just reach out to them and say, God, congratulations. You've done really well. Love what you're doing. And it's like this. That's not to me dirty or 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 weird or, you know, um, it's not laden with, you know, an agenda. It's actually just going, oh, do you know what? I'm going to congratulate somebody. And I think ultimately that will come back around. Um, You know, it'll come back around. You never know when you're going to meet that person again. You never know where your paths will cross. It's just a good way to live your life, regardless of whether you're doing it online or offline, you know. 100% 100% it's what we do
1: with our friends right I and mean, if you think exactly. about one of your oldest friends I can't remember the first conversation I had with them but I totally wasn't on the, in an agenda on exactly. on an agenda like it was just like hey how you doing yeah. and like you know the relationship flourished from there so it's it, it doesn't have to be as transactional it like most of these things are organic yeah. but also purposeful as well with a, with a kind of, you know, intention behind it. But as you said, a longer term view. So, yeah. So tell us more about yeah that experience in the US and, and how that led to your startup.
0: Yeah. So I suppose that was that was 2017. And, and when I came back from that experience, I was just pumped and I was really excited. And I thought, God, I'm going to I'm going to the US does that. I, I have to say um, I've been
1: pumped quite a few times having gone to the US, yeah. LA in particular and like the really kind of blue sky sky's the limit thinking which is incredible that I haven't actually had
0: in the UK as at that level but yeah and, and I suppose I came back from that and 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 I decided at that point I wanted to move home to Ireland I hadn't lived here for 10 years um and when I came back I joined a local enterprise office because I wanted to learn more about how I could te- like tease out this idea that I that I was going to try and bring over from from the states and I kind of smile to myself now because it's so naive. Like, you know, I had this idea of, yeah, I want to set up primary care clinics, I'm not a GP, no experience there. But it was that naive that led me then to go to a um an enterprise office and run through a six-week course where you essentially had to map out your business plan, um, you know, using the you know, business canvas and the lean method, you know, lean startup canvas and all that, all those kind of fancy things. And it was great because it knocked that idea out of me. And I was delighted. <laughs> like at least I hadn't sunk too long into it. But I think what it really highlighted to me was my skills gap. It, it it made me realize that yes, I was a doctor and yes, I was passionate, but that wasn't enough. Um, I needed to, I needed to fill my skills gap. So I started looking at different options. I looked at doing a master's in in can I
1: just ask and just clarify and outline what were your skills gap at
0: that time? Because I'm sure that a lot of doctors can identify with that so suppose I wanted to start a business and I was trying to figure out what were the skills I would need to start a business so I thought about a a master's in public health now the reason I thought about that was because I was interested in how healthcare works on a systems level so I thought if I understood that better maybe that would help me but ultimately I realized actually no that's a bit too academic I might come out of it understanding how the economy you know health economics works in the US versus the UK but it wasn't going to help me start a business per se and then I looked at an MBA and thought god you know that'd be great you know MBA you learn all about business and how to run a business but ultimately what it what it wouldn't help you do is set one up how do you know you got a good idea how do you know um that people are going to buy what you want like all those questions don't get answered in an MBA an MBA is great for like an operational person who wants to run a business when it's off the ground but I wasn't an, in that position so the third option then was this kind of kind of um off the side idea which was essentially a a master's in design innovation and it was all about designing products and services um ethnographic research which is basically qualitative research human-centered design design thinking probably heard of some of these 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 things bandied around in 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 innovation centers let's say and that just seemed like the right fit because it was a bit more raw a bit more you know getting getting at the ground and trying to figure out if you've got a good idea and so, so that's what I did. And I signed up to that masters. And over the course of that masters, I did lots of different projects. And just coming back to your idea of, of being purposeful, like I made sure that when I was doing projects, I made sure they were always based around healthcare. So I did one on an insurance company. I did one on age care. Um, I ended up doing one on type two diabetes. So although I was exploring, I was also trying to hone it and keep it on healthcare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so off the back of that then I was that so was
1: was that self-funded the the masters that you did because obviously there are a lot of doctors yeah one of the things that I say and as you probably know is like the risk of like well we were all qualification junkies so how do you make the right decision to go and do extra qualifications when do you know that's right for you and I think you've illustrated this as a quite good example where you've recognized as a skills gap there's something very specific you you feel like you want to learn having actually done the work like ahead of time and you found something that's very specifically meets that need and your the investment in it will actually help you reach a certain
0: goal which Mm -hmm. is yeah. So I think that's a great question because I think that was one thing I was actually really conscious of was the fact that as doctors, we think if we add another, you know, BMBS or another couple of letters after our name, that makes us more employable or that makes us
1: mm-hmm.
0: more intelligent. And I think once you get into the business world, that's not the case. So what I did was, was, was chose to go down the route of, of getting a different skill set altogether. But I don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do. Like, I mean, there's so many other routes I could have taken. I could have decided, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get into management consultancy. And actually, I, I kind of, you're, you're giving me flashbacks here because I remember I actually contacting, I think it was KPMG or, you know, mm. the big four. And I sat down with with the management consultant, the head of management consultancy for the healthcare sector. And I remember him telling me, oh, no, you have to go back and do a master's in, um, a master's in management or I can't even remember what it was. And then maybe I'll get a job. And I, and I was just thinking like, oh uh, you know, do I really want to have to go back and do that? you know? But yeah, I suppose yeah, it, it look it, it, there there is no right or wrong route to take. I think mm. just a case of deciding what's right for you in the moment. And for me, this master's was was the right thing for me because it was, it was giving me a specific skills skill set I was looking to get. I also was aware that I was going to meet a whole other section of people I'd never met so that I was going to learn from them as well, which I thought was a good opportunity. I wasn't going into like a healthcare based masters. Um, and yeah, and also I think, look, I'm going to bring something else into the equation here, which is age. I think age had a lot to do with my decision. Like I was 28 when I was making that decision. If I was 38, would I make that? I don't know. If I had kids and a mortgage, would I decide to do that? Maybe not. So. I was aware of the fact of my age and and how that would change my decision making as I got older. Um, you know, do you even want to start a business when you're 45 and you're still paying off? Your, I don't know. But I wasn't willing to take that risk. I wanted to do it when I felt like I didn't have many overheads.
1: Sure. Sure. And I think a lot of doctors are concerned about the financial risk or the risk of even just changing careers, right? There's always, there's a financial risk attached to that. Um, and a lot of us actually, you know, why medicine is such a a top choice for many people is because it's seen as a relatively secure mm. career pathway, financially secure, that is, yeah. like, you'll always get a job, you're very employable, which yeah. is true. But as you know, at this point in time, you know, there's a big uh, conflict about the value of doctors in particular, and how much we're paid, which is a lot less than it used to be in real yeah. terms. Absolutely. That is for another discussion. But yeah, no, I mean it's 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 a question that a lot of doctors face at various points in their career, medical student to retirees. Um, and I've seen doctors start businesses at a whole range of different yeah points of time. It also depends on you know what 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 role are you going to have in your business. So obviously, if you start a business later on in your career. Um, You don't necessarily have to be the one that's doing the doing right. And especially if you've actually run a business before, there are different roles you can take as a co-founder. You don't need to be in the business doing the running around. You can literally be, I'm the visionary. I am going to raise money to hire people to do it for me.
0: Right. So there's, as you said, there's lots of different ways. There's so many different ways to do it. I think that's it. And I think like giving yourself the space for experimentation, like Mm. you're not, this is, this is not the treadmill. It's medicine. It's not, you know, like I, I remember being in, you know, being like a fourth and fifth year medical student and literally people had their, had the next 10 years of their life mapped out. And I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal that actually you would know when I'm 27, I'll be finished F2. When I'm 29, I'll be finished my ST3. When I'm like, because that actually was normal for the environment that I was in, but step out of that. And it's like, people are going left, right, forwards, backwards, sidestepping, macro environment changes their job becomes really great and important like who would have thought that e-commerce would have taken off the way it has like I know people who started off in like standard marketing roles they're now like head of e-commerce of large corporate companies they never had that on their agenda they never because it wasn't there so it's yeah, like didn't exist the, yeah the predictability of medicine can be really hard to prize yourself away from because yes. when it's in other realms it's not as predictable and you know but that's not a bad thing you kind of have to just embrace that and go do you know if I'm adding value then something will come of it I don't know exactly what will but I'm going to just lean into that uncertainty a little bit so I mean I mean I think
1: I was going to say very well said about the predictability of medicine mm -hmm. um it's very difficult to prize your way yourself as a doctor away from that because that is what we're used to and you know I was talking to another doctor about how Kind of the best is how impatient we are when it comes to getting results. Like yeah. you do something expect a result pretty much instantly, but that's generally not how it works. Yeah. And actually, if you look back at say our training, it's particularly if you've you've been a doctor who's like hospital medicine and you've been training for like seven, eight years mm-hmm. to get from you know foundation to expert and in inverted, not even expert when you're a consultant, you're kind of starting off being an expert, right? Um, you know, it's actually a long time and incremental steps. But you look back and go, wow, I actually gained a lot of knowledge in that time. A lot of it is the practical doing knowledge rather than the theoretical knowledge, which is a part of it, but not the main bulk of it. Right. So, yeah. So I'd love to find out a little bit more about the process of funding. So getting your idea funded. Mm -hmm. So firstly, can you tell us why you got your idea funded? Like, why was that
0: important to you to get it funded? so so I, I kind of why did have, you need money <laughs> yeah so I, I kind of have to start to, just just I suppose go back to the the part mm. about where I had just finished that master's because that was the first step of yes fun. so I came off the back of that master's with an idea with a co-founder who I'd met on that master's and we brought our idea to Enterprise Ireland which is I don't know what the equivalent is in the UK but it's innovate UK m- might be but government it, is it government is it just yeah, yeah 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 innovate uk it's a state run body and they actually they're yeah. funding everything from small to large companies and their whole their whole value proposition is is improving the exports of of ireland so if you've got an exportable idea which is essentially a scalable idea then they will they'll get behind you so i brought this idea to, to enterprise ireland and i there's lots of different funds you can get but i found out about this fund called the commercialization fund and it was essentially a fund that's given to phd students who have an idea they've worked on during their phd and they then want to commercialize that so they want to take that that project out of the university and turn it into a business now i wasn't a phd student and you know i didn't have a deep tech idea but i brought the idea to enterprise Island anyway and lots and lots of back and forth but ultimately i ended up getting the funding and that was four hundred and ninety seven thousand worth of funding for my first idea, which was called Blood Brothers. And it was essentially a direct consumer blood testing um, business for men who wanted to better understand their risk of developing type two diabetes. And it was going to kind of widen out from there to become more of like a men's health employee benefits platform. So got that funding, ended up in um, one of the universities in Ireland, UCD, um, cause you had to get the funding through that network. It had to be partnered with the university and then COVID hit. <laughs> and I think COVID was great if you had an established business, you know, if you were, if you were a scale up, you know, or in growth mode. But I mean, when you first were just getting off the ground, it was very, very challenging because trying to hire people, trying to understand, like, you're still trying to build your network. You need a lot of support and we were all just, nobody knew what was going on. so. That definitely had a big impact on on how that idea went. But just to fast forward, that idea ultimately, end of last year, so about a year ago, sorry, end of 2021, um, I had been working away on that idea. We had built some technology around it. We were going out to large employers and, you know, trying to get traction um, in the form of a trial. And this thing started happening where if anyone out there who's ever felt or known what traction feels like and traction is this word that we, we use in, in in startup land where it's like you know are people are people biting you know are people people want to buy what you have um and what happened was i went to these large employers and it started off as oh we do a paid trial yeah, yeah we'll do a pay trial not really hearing back from them will you do an unpaid trial oh yeah i yeah, will do an unpaid trial not really hearing back from them and then Kind of going like you know shit maybe they don't want what we have and having to kind of come to that realization that what I what we built what we'd spent a year a year and a half on nobody wanted I think that what's really important to learn about that is and I still fall into the trap sometimes is don't build something before you know if people want it or not we we thought that maybe people wanted this but actually, when it came to it, they didn't, and we'd spent a lot of time building something. So that was a very I think that's a really
1: important lesson learned. And I mean, having been through the process, obviously you did this masters, you managed to convince Enterprise Island and actually a lot of other people <laughs> that this was worth building. So yeah. what so obviously that you must have done some level of market research to ensure that you, you know you had a really good product fit yeah. with the market you were targeting so yeah. so where is it in that that you feel like you went wrong because obviously you wouldn't have got that far had you not done that research at
0: um, yeah the time and, and, and actually off the back of the masters we'd done a lot of ethnographic research so we'd spent mm. we'd spent probably four to six months going around to all the different possible stakeholders trying to understand whether there was an unmet need I'd spent time with pharmaceutical companies insurance companies um, men's health clubs um I think all men shared I think you guys have it too um and yeah. also the w- one of the state obesity services in Ireland and it was when I spent time in the obesity services that I had noticed that 80 percent of people who turn up there are women and yet if you look at the demographics of who's who's living with obesity it's actually slightly higher in men than it is in women so you're kind of going why are why are there no men in an obesity clinic when actually it's affecting men more so than it is even affecting women and that was kind of the insight that I took away and my co-founder took away to say maybe there's an unmet need here for men's health now without a shadow of a doubt there is an unmet need for men's health and I'm sure somebody else you know is going to have a great idea around that and be able to build it out I see all these kind of sperm analysis testing companies setting up and lots of interesting stuff in the men's health space but what what had happened to us is I think we had taken the wrong insight. Mm. So, so when we then did look back over everything, when we had to make that really difficult decision as to whether we can try and continue pushing on with Blood Brothers or whether we pivot to another idea, I just went back and I looked back through all the insights we gathered, all the interviews we'd done and and asked myself, what was the real insight? And I think what had happened is I I'd, I'd missed the opportunity that was essentially that there's a huge epidemic happening right now with obesity that there's a real difficulty in accessing services that there's a huge amount of stigma shame bias around obesity and that is actually perturbing people from seeking help and that it's a hugely painful problem and pain is a really important word when it comes to startups people have to feel pain to be willing to do something about it like think about you know I actually worked in AE. that's kind of like my background as a doctor it's like 90% of people that turn up to AE are there because they're in pain you know yeah. like w- why is it there's so many people out there have pre-diabetes you know why is that so rampant and nobody's going and doing anything about it because they don't feel a physical pain from it whereas you'll have somebody in the A&E with back pain shoulder pain abdominal pain it's like that's and, and I'm sorry to keep banging on about that but it's like if you're going to look at solving a problem make sure there's enough pain around that people want to do something about it and when you look at obesity there's enough pain there people are suffering mentally they've got depression and anxiety they're suffering physically they've got Mm -hmm. knee pain back pain Um, they're suffering functionally they're struggling Mm -hmm. to walk they're struggling to um keep up on family events um and they're they're struggling monetarily you Mm -hmm. know expensive to buy bigger clothes second Mm -hmm. plane seats all these things, and so. Looking back, I was like, here's the opportunity. And then you also look at the macro environment and you go, actually, there's a lot happening in the space now as well. There's new treatments coming out. Um, There's a there's a new wave of inclusion, diversity and and equality that's coming to the front and center, which is going to mean that people are going to be more proactive about fighting for people's rights in this area. So it just felt like it felt like we'd gone a really long winded way around to getting to what was ultimately what we should have started with which was beyond bmi
1: sure so so you pivoted from blood brothers to beyond bmi and you managed to raise again with that
0: so we had <laughs> we had about 50,000 left not very right. um that was to pay salaries it was to pay everything and we just managed thankfully managed to turn it around um we only had about 6 months to do that before all the funding ran out and the funding did run out around july august of last year so we went about what we about five or six months of that salary after that point
1: but, mm-hmm. but
0: but what happened then as well was i was very lucky to um meet who's now my current chairman um and he had a background in you know he's run multiple businesses has had multiple successes um and having his commercial lens and commercial input was really really helpful you know if not completely key to mm. being this business on and what we did then was we went out and we we we, we looked for, for for funding and thankfully maybe beyond BMI and, and the market and the opportunity just resonated and and, and luckily we we managed to close a, a seed round at the end of last year which was for 525,000 so wow.
1: here we go again <laughs> uh, that that's that's amazing and I and I think Obviously you have just glossed over the details when it comes to actually raising money. Mm. Um, Not that it is an easy feat at all. Mm. Um, I mean, we've got a few minutes left. I'd, I'd love to find out a little bit more about your experience as a doctor, raising money for your idea and your business. Like what insights can you share with us on that process, considering your background and also how, you use being a doctor to your benefit mm. in those conversations
0: well, I think I think being a doctor is ultimately just an automatic trust thing you know people mm-hmm. speak and they go right they're a doctor and you know going to trust them I think you also then have to demonstrate how you're you're you being a doctor is actually going to add value to the business so it's like you know I'm not an obesity expert now I've, I've increasingly understand the disease of obesity I'm going to be practicing on our on our platform because I've become so so afraid with it but I got obesity experts involved so I've got professors of obesity involved in this in this um business some of them own shareholdings in it so surrounding yourself with the right expertise is is key I suppose when it comes to the funding piece again like you're not an expert in funding and fundraising is what I have come to learn is a business function so people look at funding as I need to get through the funding round so I can then get on my business. No funding is integral and part. It's like the oxygen you breathe. You know, if you don't have oxygen, you can't, you can't survive. If you don't have money, you can't survive. So you need to make it a business function. It needs to become something that actually it's actually even integrated in our business goals. Now it's like to be able to have raise sustainable capital, because if, without that, we can't grow this business um so I would what I would say to that is just make sure that you have people who you can lean on who can really help you with that process and I have that with my chairman where Um, did you find your chairman so it was it's all very like again network it was like (laughs) my my mum's friend best friend and his wife are best friends and right this kind of thing um you can't discount network it just is what it is and it's like you know, do you ever see like really famous people setting up companies? You go, how have they done that? And you go, do you know what? Just look who they're surrounded by. They've got someone who's going to give them money. They've got someone who's going to, you know, plug them PR wise. Like there's no accident about the equity and equality <laughs> of setting up a business. Like, you know, I, I, yeah, it's it's just a, a one of those things in life, I think, that we have to be honest about. It's like, and, and my network still I still know I've got a lot of work to do with it. I I wish I had, you know, new people in higher places more and Uh, uh, all that kind of stuff, because it just makes a difference. It changes the way. It Um, helps you get things done
1: faster, having the right expertise and knowledge and insights at your fingertips. And so maybe networking is also a business function, right? As part of the, you know, your own, as a founder, that is your job right? Yeah. It's growing. It's just being the visionary and, but also it is about who, you know, to help grow that business. Yeah. And as a founder, you can have various um, functions within that business. Well, what, what is your function actually as a co-founder?
0: What is so, your core function? Oh, uh, I mean, at, at this stage in the business, it feels like, it feels like everything. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I work on, I'm involved in, in, in the sales process, um, both Actually, delivering the sales and building out the sales pipeline. I am involved with partnerships, so we've got a B two C and a B two B element about what we yeah. do. You know, the, the the building out the different partnerships. Um, I'm involved from a PR perspective. You know, making sure that we put out in it. You know, this image of clinically led, medically led, because that is what we are, and that needs to come across um, to everybody, whether it's a whether it's somebody buying the service or whether it's an investor who wants to invest. Um, I'm involved with, I'll be involved with the fundraising. Um, I'm involved with making sure people get paid. HR function. I've, I've, I try to outsource some of those things where I can, but you still end up involved in it. You still have to double check stuff and and all that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So there's so many things you're involved with. And I think where possible, you need to try and outsource non-revenue generating tasks. And by that, I mean, HR, um, accounts, um, anything that is not directly related to bringing money into the business, you need to try and find somebody else you can lean on a little bit. It doesn't have to be a full time member of staff. You can hire people, um, you know. But trying to prize yourself off of that really challenging, but you kind of have to do it. I'm still by no means good at it. I'm, I'm making so many mistakes still, like, you know. But it's that's
1: part of it, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's part of it. Making mistakes, learning fast, moving on quickly, mm-hmm. um, and just before we close off from something we were talking about off podcast, really frustrating me. Um, We were talking about the value of knowing who you are Mm. uh, as, as part of the process of, Changing careers, diversifying your career, moving into the wider industry healthcare setting. Can you comment again
0: a bit about what that means to you, what that involved for you? Yeah, I think I suppose you and I are having a bit of an offline chat there about like Mm. your identity as a doctor and how influential that can be in your decision making. Like when you see yourself or you believe that you are seen as valuable because you are a doctor, because you know you, you have that expertise, it can be so hard to separate that sense of who you are from what you do and if those two things are together if they're both if if who you are and what you do you feel the same thing you'll you'll never be able to move away from medicine because you'll feel as if you're abandoning your identity Mm -hmm. but if you're able to kind of separate them and say well who I am is this curious person who wants to learn who's always loved learning who wants to try new things and by the way what I do is I'm a doctor and I love what I do, and I love helping people. And just because I'm not a doctor doesn't mean I don't love helping people. It just means that it's just it's just what I do. Um, you, then it's easier to move forward. Um, it's it's easier then to kind of say, well, do you know what? I don't have to be a doctor to help people. I don't have mm-hmm. to be curious. Um, and also, like, you don't ever really lose the doctor piece. Like, I mean, you've learned a huge amount by being a doctor. I, I, I still am a doctor. I still practice as a doctor. That might not stay the way that way forever, but for now, it is the case. And I think that, but I also see myself now as a CEO. I now also see myself as a, you know, a, a, as a founder. I also see myself as a complete learner in so many things as well. So I just don't, I, I, and I think what can really help you to, I, to separate identity from, from from what you do is also making sure you have other interests. Like if all this fails in the morning, touch what it doesn't. If it does, it's like, you know, I I still have relationships. I still have family. I still have all my learnings that I can take into another area. Um, and, and again, a we were talking about this offline, but like I've listened to some of the podcasts that you've done with other people and listening to them. I remember going for walks. I live near the sea, like what going for walks and just thinking and asking myself, like, who am I and what can I bring to the world if I'm not doing this? And even listening to those podcasts helped me to see how other doctors have framed it and Mm -hmm. really helpful because, you know, you realize that you think you're unique and you're not like a lot of other people who are going through the same thing. um,
1: Yes. I think, I think that's a really great point to end on because you think you're unique in what you feel like you have as a doctor. You are, but you haven't been able to articulate it that well because we are all unique individuals right we all bring something different to the table but because of the way that we've been trained we've been trained to be interchangeable we've been trained to be dispensable so until you do the work on yourself and the way that you just described you won't Mm. be able to differentiate yourself from anyone else pretty much who's in the same space and that's why that's one of the keys to actually moving ahead is to basically step out and be your own category of one and what you have to offer to the world and who you are right (laughs) because
0: we are we are all in our own category and that's where experts come in like lean on experts like I I went Mm. to career career guidance um, guy before and it was so helpful for him to look at me in a way that I'd never looked at myself. He was able Mm. to have project management skills and you have management skills and you have leadership skills. And he was, he was listing off all these skill sets that you could literally put on a CV. And I hadn't seen myself through that lens before. So I think it's really important that you, you don't even don't try and figure this out on your own. Like I'm actually a big, big fan of that whole concept, even in business. It's like, yeah, don't try and figure stuff out on your own when there's lots of other people out there who've solved it 10 times over. Yeah. Just try and find them. And, you know, if you can speak to a career guidance person who can start to put a shape on how you how you can, you know, put yourself out in the world and how you can describe yourself in the world, just just it'll be the best money you probably ever spent. You know, yeah. instead of being at home like going over and over and over in your head again, trying to craft a- procedure. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And and for anyone who's Uh, plugged into the medic footprints well we have medic footprints approved coaches that you can reach out to on our website most of them are doctors they know exactly what you're going to do they've worked with so many doctors like you so don't hesitate to use that as a really important resource and investment in yourself but anyway thank you so much Harriet for joining us for really sharing your insights which is so it's deep, right? It's remarkable. It's so, you're so reflective and it's so refreshing to, to actually be part of this conversation in that sense, because again, like I think a lot of the career change journey, we see what it is on the surface and what you see in the magazines and the PR and the all that jazz, but there's so much beneath that surface that you clearly have gone through, you've worked on in order to achieve what you're doing, which is really making a huge, impactful, transformative change in people's lives, particularly in the obesity market. Um, so thank you for what you're doing Thank, oh, thank you, you. Yeah. and also for sharing that story to doctors who will hopefully use this as inspiration to move forward in their careers. For you know, to do whatever they think is going exactly. to be impactful, right? So, exactly. thank you. No worries. Thank you so and much. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way of doing that? I always uh, um, remember that question. To me on LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn, doing a do a, a cold <laughs> call approach. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, and uh, take care. Yeah, thanks so much, Banya. Take care. (laughs)